for me, it's easier to push harder than it is to say, I did something stupid here and I need to change. I can say that, but what's my natural default is like, you know what, how can I just push harder? Mm. I think a lot of us also, they come from, let's call it a more physical background, like gym, jujitsu, whatever it may be. We become really, really good at pushing harder because that actually gives a lot of results there. And sometimes we default to that when it's not the right thing to do. Could somebody else with your exact skill set be achieving more than you currently are? If so, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Ita Mamorani, ex-Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and mindset and performance coach to over 106 to nine-figure entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Elite Performance Podcast, where we arm ambitious entrepreneurs with actionable mindset tactics so they can stop playing small and win big. Welcome to today's episode, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about why we rebranded the podcast, why sometimes our blind spots get in the way, and why sometimes it's not actually our blind spots, but it's our desires and wants that cause us to purposely not look at the truth, even though we can see it. So this episode today is going to be very helpful for you if there's something that you really want to see succeed, or an employee you really want to work out, or some kind of project, whatever it may be, that you really, really want to make happen. There's an emotional connection there but it's not going the way you'd like to actually see it go. So what we're going to be talking about today is a lot about how we can understand when we're ignoring reality, how to make sure you don't ignore that and what to do about it, as well as a couple of common mistakes. And in, in that whole case, we're going to be talking about why we branded the pod and how I came to that realization. So with that said, Alex, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ian. Uh, excited to be here. I think I've made this mistake many times myself, so uh, excited yeah. to get into it. Cool. Any initial thoughts before we get kicking? Uh, I'm just really interested in, in the general topic. I think it's something which plagues entrepreneurs a lot. Uh, very rarely do things work out faster, simpler, easier, better than we anticipated. And then trying to actually diagnose what was going wrong and how to improve it is often the sort of murky territory where we sort of spin our wheels. So I'm really interested to um, sort of dive into this topic. Cool. So we're going to use the podcast as a case study to kind of explain this principle. Now, the podcast title was not working. Like we even got a review when somebody said, don't let the podcast title fool you, the weird title fool you. It's actually really good practical stuff. And it also took that review. And I think you actually told me something about it. And a couple of the elite guys told me as well, like, dude, like you have really good content in your podcast, but it kind of feels awkward to share with people. because it's a weird title. And the reality was that when I looked at it, I was like, why am I not listening to reality? Reality is telling me something. I'm not listening to it. The podcast is really good. People are telling me they like it, but it's not growing the way we would like it. Something here is wrong. But and it wasn't a blind spot. Again, because I could see that. People were telling me that. I was aware of that. However, the reality was that I was emotionally connected to something. And the moment we emotionally want something, we become illogical. Like That's literally the term. Like, when you say someone, someone's being emotional here, you're not meaning, oh, this person's being very rational and thoughtful. Okay, they're being illogical. And I got caught up on something. I remember like reading from Tim Ferriss, he's saying the power of owning a term. Like from him, it was lifestyle design. He owned that. And that was always something that was associated with him. And I remember in the back of the day saying, I want to own a term. What if I can own a term like emotional fortitude? But nobody else wanted that. The people who come into the program, the people who want to listen to the podcast, they're not interested in that. They don't even know what that means. It just creates confusion. And I was not willing to accept reality because I was blinded by my emotional wants. And I well, think, sorry, sorry, sorry to cut in, 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 but 
Did you just say that you have emo- emotions? <laughs> I do, even wants and all that kind of jazz. Desires, okay, so fears, insecurities, all that kind of good stuff. Edema actually has <laughs> emotions. All right. Sorry. Joking, joking aside, it's funny because like people often are surprised when I talk about that. I think the reason I'm able to be an expert in this field is because I also experience it and I learn how to deal with it. I think truthfully, I I'm a less emotional person than most people. And that's why I'm able to also kind of like go out of it and see from a different angle because I'm not so caught up in it. But if I was completely um, void of it, let's say, I wouldn't be able to actually understand how it's going on. I wouldn't be able to have that experience and translate how to get past it or whatever it may be. I think I'm like at the emotional spectrum. I'm just enough where I have enough emotions to understand what it is. Right. And I also don't have too much where I get overwhelmed by it. And I think that's what allows me to, to play really well in this field, so to speak. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's just super. Yeah, but I appreciate you giving me a little bit of shit about it. <laughs> move on. <laughs> Ready to move on? Ready to move on. Cool. All right. So here's the thing. Again, like the moment we want something and we start to think in terms of I hope or I want or I'd like or that would be great instead of it would make sense that this is how things will work out, things start to change. We basically lose half our IQ. All of a sudden, we become emotionally attached and we're not actually thinking, wait, what is reality telling me this is likely to work or not likely to work? We lose our ability to judge things based on what they are because we just see them for how we would like for them to be. And that's what happened with the podcast. It's like, I didn't think about it from the first principle of, okay, we're using it as a tool to help people and also draw more clients. For both these people that want to be helped and for those potential clients, what would be the simplest way for them to enter our world? What do they actually care about? They care about being elite performers, achieving better results, uncovering their biases, and just achieving better results. Business, personal life, all that kind of jazz. Nobody cares. Nobody comes like you said this very well. Like Nobody comes with a place of like, oh, I'm emotionally fragile, so I need emotional fortitude. Hmm. I ignored reality because I wanted to own a term. I had a certain want, and that superseded my logic. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be. So first off, any questions about that? No, no questions. I think I fall into the same trap again many times. And so that was, the, I guess, the, the catalyst for you sort of reconsidering this rebrand was that recognition or the realization that, hey, the, the, the growth is not growing aligned to my expectations and the sort of anecdotal feedback which I've been receiving from, from my current audience. Uh, therefore, I've sort of realized that there's something's off. Would that be a fair sort of assessment of? Yes. And more specifically, like I want to get into the tool that actually helped me really like pinpoint that. So we're okay. going to get into the framework and that tool in a second. Cool. Um, so that's that. But again, I want to like, before we go into that, I just want to lay it on a principle level that the smart place to figure out a strategy that is likely to work, not to go with what you would want to work. Those are two mm. very different things. What mm. I would want to work is very naive. It's not taking into account how the world actually works. That's the fairy tale land. Mm. I think if I just manifest this, hopefully it'll come, people will like it. Mm. But actually saying the smart place to figure out, okay, what is likely to work here? Not for me, because I have my wants, but if somebody else was trying to accomplish this, what would be the smart move? Mm. And when we simply ask that question, we have that, what they call the psychological distance, where I don't think about it from what I want, but I just say for somebody else who I don't have any connection with, I don't have any, my desires aren't theirs, what would probably work for them? That's probably going to give me a much better insight as to what would be more effective than just simply saying, how would I go about this? Because when we say, how would I go about this? What should I do? We always attach our desires and our wants and our emotions to that. Mm. 
I that's something which I have. I believe that I have a pretty good ability to read in others, but a terrible ability to read in myself until I'm confronted with it. That difference between what would I like to happen or what would I want to happen compared to what is probabilistically the most likely yeah. to happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny how our emotions can just kind of creep up on us and, and take over the, 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 the steering wheel. Yeah, it's like it's something my mom told me when I was a teenager. She said like she we were talking about how I wasn't able to see something, and then she was explaining to me very clearly. And there's an expression that if somebody came to me with my exact set of problems that I could not solve my entire life, I would set them on their way in 30 minutes. Let's figure it out like that. Mm. And just as a kind of a segue to what we're doing today, that tool of psychological distance of just saying, not what what should I do here, but what would I recommend that somebody else in this situation do? What should somebody else in this situation do? All of a sudden, it creates so much more clarity. It's like, I think trying to ask ourselves, what should I do here? And how can I be aware of my emotions that are steering me in possibly the wrong direction or whatever it may be? It's very complicated. It's very challenging. A workaround around that is just simply ask, what should somebody else do if they have these kind of goals and they're this kind of starting goal? What would be the most effective path? Because all of a sudden, we don't take into account their possible insecurities, their possible wants, whatever it may be. It's like, this is technically the most effective thing for them to do. Mm -hmm. But with us, we avoid asking ourselves what's the most technical, technically effective thing to do because oftentimes it's also the most emotionally uncomfortable. So we naturally just try to steer away from that without recognizing it. Do you believe that emotional discomfort comes from a place of, whether it's conscious or subconscious, recognizing that we don't have the capabilities or the domain knowledge to actually make the most effective and efficient decisions so our, our emotions kind of take take control because the analogy that i'm thinking of here is if i was trying to drive from rome to barcelona in the most efficient and effective manner google maps is my friend it's going to tell me how to yeah. get there in the best way possible not which way do i think i should go which way would i like to go i'm just going to use a tool that i have but in business we do this all the time so do you think it's just a our emotions fill the void because we don't actually really know how to measure tests or we don't have the Google Maps of business? Honestly, no, man. Because like if let's run through this kind of filter. I've what I have found working with like over a hundred entrepreneurs, only from like six to nine figures, that they're really when they're really stuck on a problem, they can usually at least understand what the first most effective step moving forward is by simply asking, what should somebody else in this situation do? So they might not have the blueprint all the way from Barcelona to Rome. But they'll definitely know, okay, from Barcelona, I need to go on the highway. And from there, I'll figure out the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get people out of their own heads, and again, this is me included as the example here is showing, mm -hmm. we're able to at least figure out what is the next step that's going to show us the next step. That would show some, again, that would show somebody else the next step, that would show somebody else the next effective step and building from there. Good. I think a lot of times it's like the opposite. When, when it's us and we don't know the whole way, we don't even go sometimes. A lot of people just mm -hmm. stop. But when okay. somebody else, you're like, oh, dude, just do the first thing, then you'll figure it out. Put out the MVP, then you'll get feedback on it, then you'll grow, and then you'll figure out your marketing channel. That's part of life. That's the cycle. But when it's us, mm -hmm. like, oh, unless I know this super works, I'm not going to go forward. Makes sense. Cool. So I want to explain the tool that kind of helped me really just it put me in my track, so to speak, and forced me to look at this. So we just did a month with uh, my old officer from the special forces we did the officer general program so for context he is one of the five officers that are special for that ex-special forces officers that are also mckinsey grads in israel 
And they run a program called Officer General, which takes people from the military, the police, and the intelligence communities that are just below the general level, like high-ranking officers. And it helps them become better strategic thinkers as they're about to graduate into the general ranks. And what he said is that there is this kind of cycle where you go first, like when the strategy is working or not working, you have to first stop and go through this kind of cycle. And it's a four-part cycle. First off, there's the embarrassment stage. You say, reality has embarrassed me a little bit. My game plan has been exposed. It's not working correctly. And I need to own that. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Then you go into the systematic inquiry, saying like, what is actually going on here? What is the actual truth of the lay of the land of reality that I operate within? And then now that I better understand the actual truth of what's going on, how can I create a new strategy? That's number three. And then number four, implement it. And it's kind of this consistent cycle. You have a new strategy, you implement it. Again, there's flaws. If it's a little bit embarrassing, whatever it may be. And for whatever, first off, any questions about that before we get going? No questions about that. Yeah. So for me, the embarrassment thing, because it was such a weird word, and it's something that we often use in the agency or in the special forces, you use these words that are not part of your everyday vernacular in order to shift you out of your everyday thinking. And embarrassment was that for me. I was like, man, this is embarrassing. Like, I thought the podcast would be much further along, especially because I think we have good quality here. People say they really enjoy it, but the numbers don't match the expectations. And I don't think this is just a volume play where if we just work harder and do more of the same, it's actually going to change the outcome. But something here is not working. And he gave that example. He said that the, how you coin embarrassment, understand that it's actually something that needs to be changed is if, for example, you launch a product with the goal of making $1,000 in the first month, and by week number three, you're only at 150, and there's no you know, like exponential growth curve, it's foolish to say, I'll just work harder and it will work. It's like you need to acknowledge that the strategy isn't working and that you feel a bit embarrassed so that you can move on. And you have to own that. Not to say, okay, I'm not embarrassed. I'm going to protect my ego by just pushing harder because that's easier than to own the emotional, like me saying I messed up. It feels a bit embarrassing. Especially I think a lot of us A-types, it's easier for us to work really hard and like grind our faces into the wall instead of just owning that we feel a bit embarrassed. And for whatever reason, when he said that, I was like, man, something with the podcast, like it's embarrassing. We should be doing better. And that was the first thing that really snapped me into saying, okay, I need to reassess what's going on. So any thoughts, questions on your end from that? Probably a question about discerning when you're potentially on track, because a lot of things do have some kind of an exponential, the hockey stick sort of moment. And there's plenty of business examples where something sucked forever and then, you know, the right person, the right time, and they sort of cracked it and then they sort of reached a success. And then therefore the message is, you know, just keep plugging away, um, sort of do the boring work. Whereas what you're saying is, uh, identifying almost like an equation so that you can become more aware of when you're behind where you should be. So like if in your example, if I said also maybe the uh, e-commerce example, if the goal is to make a thousand dollars in a month, it's week three. If my only input in that equation is time, like each week equals $50 in sales, yeah. I've got, you know, one and a half weeks of the month remaining. Is it likely that I'm going to make, you know, $850 in the last month if the, the only variable I change is time. And under that equation, the answer would probably be no. So it's probably not just time, like you were saying with the pod, it's probably not just yeah. spending more time in the trenches and doing more volume. 
there's probably a branding issue, maybe some formatting, there's something else going on, which is not giving it the, the, the growth rate that you otherwise expected. Would that be like yeah. a fair sort of summary? Very much. I think also what you're saying that the plugging away and doing the boring thing, like, again, if you just keep plugging away and doing the boring things without changing anything, then it's just a time issue. It's like you have a great workout plan, like you've seen this. So you give mm -hmm. somebody who's brand new to working out a workout plan and after the first week, they're like, dude, I'm not jacked yet. Yeah, you need more time under tension. There's nothing wrong with the plan. This is how it's supposed to work. Mm. But if someone's after like a year of working out, they don't see any results, or like something here needs to change, dude. Like maybe it's your yes. nutrition, maybe whatever it may be, the intensity, whatever it may be. But just understanding that. And basically how we said, like sometimes people just need to like plug away and keep doing the boring work and then eventually it gets figured out. It gets figured out because they're probably changing something. Yes. They are changing something. And this mechanism, this tool is to help you really clarify instead of, oh, something kind of feels off. Maybe we should change. Maybe we should not. It just gives it a format to say, are we really like on the right track? If not, immediately let's cut it and let's figure out why. Let's reorientate and go faster. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree whether it's a working out analogy or how long does it take to grow a plant? There are certain things where it just does require a certain time because it's part of the equation. Whereas often maybe those success stories that are shared in business, the person was grinding away forever, no one was paying attention, and suddenly they cracked it. It might not just be time. It might be that what they were learning over that period of time was just constant iterations. And the reason they cracked it, the market took notice, was because what they were doing was fundamentally different to what they started doing you know, years and months earlier. It was the improvement, not necessarily just the time. Yeah, like uh, the classic example is Edison. Like he mm. would just keep trying thousands and thousands of different things. He wasn't doing the same experiment a thousand times. He yes. was tweaking variables every time. And then eventually he would come to his great invention. Do you and, find that something which holds entrepreneurs back is they, they don't make that differentiation. They, they use the Edison quotes or just, I'm just going to keep going. It's like, well, Edison wasn't repeating the same experiment every time. What I found from seeing the kind of entrepreneurs that I work with, the more A-type people, that have a lot of sense of pride, like I'm a bad dude, I can figure things out, I can make it happen. It's their pride and their ego that shields them from being able to recognize we need to change something. And that was what it was mm -hmm. for me as well. Like I see that mm -hmm. in myself. I was like, how can I just push harder? Saying I can, how can I push harder? For me, it's easier to push harder than it is to say, I did something stupid here and I need to change. I can say that, but what's my natural default is like, you know what, how can I just push harder? Mm. And I think a lot of us also that come from, let's call it a more physical background, like gym, jujitsu, whatever it may be, we learned, we become really, really good at pushing harder because that actually gives a lot of results there. And sometimes we default to that when it's not the right thing to do. And that's why for me, having this kind of framework where first off, if something's not going according to the trajectory, stop and ask yourself, is there an embarrassment here? Mm. Don't just say, okay, let's push harder with this. Let's push it through to completion. Say, wait, wait. First off, are we being even smart about this? Are we strategically being correct? Are we being effective? If not, let's own the fact that our strategy is a bit embarrassing and we need to fine tune that so we can actually be much more effective with the effort that we're going to put in. Makes sense. Cool. So that was the first thing, the first part of that system, the embarrassment. And I owned that. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this feels embarrassing. And I told you guys that literally the next week when we did this workshop, I was like, guys, I recognize about myself. Like we have an issue here. So then once you're embarrassed, how do you make sure you don't keep repeating the same mistakes? And either you have blind spots or like what happened to me that I ignored certain things that I saw because I had emotional wants that I put on this project. And for that, 
Tal uh, represented this concept called the set. So basically, the way you create the systematic inquiry of understanding reality for what it actually is, not what you want it to be, and to also make sure that you see all the angles of it that you're not used to looking for, is this concept called the set, where you basically figure out what are all the components of reality that cause your venture to be more successful or less successful. And from that, you can build a strategy. And the components of the set were as follows, the stakeholders. First off, like who are the parties involved in the podcast? Me, the host, you, the co-host, the listeners, the production team, all that jazz. Then the connections. How do they tie to each other? How do they all work together? Then the motivations, which I'll get back to. Like, what are the interests of each person? What will make them happy? What are their goals? Then the challenges. What are the challenges they present to me or my goals? The opportunities. Where are the points of leverage to exploit? And where are the opportunities they present to me and my goals? And then the limitations. Like, what constraints are you operating with? And when we went through all this, when I looked at the motivations, I was like, ah, this is where I really messed up. Because I put my emotional one, what I want, my motivation, I wanted to own a term. Because I thought if I play this long-term game of owning a term in a couple of years, phenomenal results. I'm going to be like Tim Ferriss. That's what I probably had like an emotional want there. I thought about my motivation. I didn't think about the motivations of the listeners, or potential listeners. They don't care about emotional fortitude. They just care about being elite performers and achieving all they want to achieve in their lives and their businesses and so on. And that framework of really forcing you to go step by step and seeing what you're possibly missing out on. For me, that was really, really big. Because that, that really forced you, me to see reality. Did that, did that come to you quite naturally as you started going through that process, identifying the stakeholders, the connections, the motivations, limitations, et cetera? Was that something as you started to go through that process that immediately you recognized that there was a motivation that you had that wasn't shared by other stakeholders? Yeah. Okay. And what was also interesting to me that when we later went, off, went over it with the whole group, I think 90% of the guys, that was their blind spot. They didn't look at the motivations of the other people involved in this. I think you were the only one that had something else that you didn't look at. But for mm. pretty much everybody else, that was the main thing. And it makes sense. Like we're all, we're all intrinsically out for ourselves. Like we mm. can say we want to make an impact and all that, but we're human beings, we're creatures, we're animals at a very primal level. We want to look out for our well-being. So naturally, if we're not aware of it, we're just going to look at what our motivations are. But that's not actually what creates a big win all around like with the people that you want on your side, whatever it may be. And that was a really interesting thing that next time, like my very, let's call it compact mental model around this is that whenever I start a new venture, I need to be hyper aware to look at other people's motivations and their wants. It's not about what I want to get out of this or what I would hope or what I would like. And again, it's very obvious, like I coach people on this all the time and I can see them from the side, like, dude, you're not looking at your employee's motivation. You're not looking at this other like person's, this other company's motivation, whatever it may be. And I didn't see it in myself, which again, like we all have our blind spots and this is just a great tool to make sure that we don't stumble on. It's interesting here. You use the word blind spot as well, rather than the word bias, because it sounds as though once you have made that realization, there wasn't a whole lot of internal resistance against the idea that maybe the, a change is required yeah. or as a bias might be, no, everyone else is wrong. This is the best name ever. Um, they just don't see it yet. And I think that's such an interesting point. I think the, all the emotional resistance went away the moment I acknowledged that we have an embarrassment. 
The moment I acknowledge that, okay, I'm embarrassed by reality, embarrassed me, so to speak, in this fair again, I'm not an embarrassment, I'm not a failure, I'm a good human being, I have my self-worth, all that jazz, but just in this specific case, reality embarrassed me, and I can own that, and be like, mm. okay, emotionally, like, now I took that hit, okay, I've made peace with that, now I can move on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real power of that embarrassment stage. So you're saying, okay, wait a minute, take that emotional hit, own that. Now that you accepted that, you're not trying to avoid saying, ah, I'm not really embarrassed because maybe this, because maybe we can figure that out. I can work harder. I can tweak this, maybe a little bit of that. But if you say, no, no, I fully acknowledge that. This feels a bit stupid. Like I personally, I'm an expert in performance and mindset. And I missed out on this. That feels foolish. There's no way around that. I did something that is embarrassing relative to like where I should, what I should be able to execute on. I did something embarrassing. The moment I can own that and make peace with that, now I can move on. So then from there, I just saw opportunities. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And I think it reinforces how important it is to have tools and processes like this up, up your sleeve because even you know, a world-leading mindset expert can fall victim to our own blind spots, which shows you just you know, how, how pervasive it, it is. Yeah, it's the power of these tools. It's like, I think this is stuff that, I would do intuitively for a lot of my clients before this, but now getting that kind of framework and having that tool to run myself and other people from, it just helps us to make sure there's no leakage, so to speak, that we catch mm -hmm. everything that needs to be caught. Make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Cool. So that was actually going to be the common mistake that I wanted to talk about. The common mistake is not acknowledging embarrassment when it happens. The reality is that we always try to protect our egos. It's a natural thing. We try to protect our egos, our sense of self. And there's this whole term of like, if I do one thing that's embarrassing, I should feel embarrassed about myself as an entrepreneur, as a person, as a husband, as a wife, whatever it may be. And I think a big part of it is the framework what allowed me to acknowledge that embarrassment so quick. Like I'm proud of myself to be the kind of person that moves forward. Like we're at episode, I think 40 something now, almost 50. And like, I wouldn't have gotten to this insight if I would have just tried to stay in the background and figure this out. And like, you know, like the whole, like, how do I get from Barcelona to Rome before mm -hmm. even like stepping a foot forward? Because I have a better frame of how I view myself and what I take pride in and not just like having a stumble, but saying that stumbles are really good because that means I'm moving forward. I'm giving myself the opportunity to have a lot of flaws in my thought process, in my business model exposed. I can be at peace saying I got embarrassed here. Like, mm -hmm. This is what I'm supposed to be searching out for. It's like when I'm in jiu-jitsu on the mat, it's like I want people to expose the holes in my game. So let me roll with the best people. Let me move forward as fast as possible. And I think the most common mistake is that people don't acknowledge when they feel a bit embarrassed about something, when something isn't working, the plan of theirs isn't working, either because they just don't want to admit it, because they want to try to work outwork it, so to speak, the technical flaw in their strategy. They want, to re they want to work really, really hard in a way that's not effective, not efficient, or because they're just afraid to admit it, period because they think if they're embarrassed in one way, they should feel like an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Hearing you unpack it makes me just really think about those two words and how powerful they are in my understanding, bias and blind spot. Um, I was thinking about you know, driving a car. If I've set up my side mirrors incorrectly, um, it's possible I have a blind spot and I can't see the car. And so maybe I do a shoulder glance and go, there's a car there. Okay, so that was a, a blind spot. Um, and I'm not going to 
merge into that lane because of the, of the blind spot, which I've been aware of. But if I can now see the car, so the blind spot is no longer blind, and I still choose to kind of like close my eyes and cross my fingers and say, there is no car, there is no car, there is no car, and I merge directly into the car, that would be bias or denial or just, you know, disconnection from reality. Yes. And so I think that what you, what you had was the blind spot, which we all have, that's why it's called a blind spot. And then the second you had a process or a tool to recognize it, it was kind of like adjusting the mirrors. Like, oh, there's a car there. Okay. Now I can, I can change my strategy. Yeah. But if you, if you didn't change your strategy and just thought, you know, there is no car, there is no car, there is no car. That would be bias, which might be harder to, to undo because now we need to work out why you're clinging to a belief, which is not connected to reality. Yeah. I'll try to give a similar analogy to that and a more visual one that I don't usually do. So please just stick with me. So all right. we've also all heard this story of somebody going the wrong direction. And instead of recognizing, okay, I missed the turn with other people in the car telling them like, dude, you missed the turn. They keep going out of ego. We all have heard this example, right? So I think to kind of say what you want, like, let's say we have our desire. Our desire is like, we're in Barcelona right now. We want to get to Rome. So all I'm fixated in is like how to get to, I look at Rome. Now, what I don't recognize is that there's a mountain range right in front of me. And I need to take a, a right in order to be around it for like safe passage, whatever it may be. And that's something that unless I'm able to actually see reality for what it is, I'm so blinded by my wants that I will drive into the mountain. Now, what can happen is that somebody will tell me, hey man, this is what's going on. This is the reality of it. Like you're going the wrong way. You need to U-turn and take that, like, that turn again so you go around the mountains. And I can have that vision of reality where often it's not my blind spot. But if my ego is still so strong because of my wants or because of my fear to acknowledge that I was wrong in one way, because I need to protect my ego, I might drive into the mountain range. However, if I can either let go of my ego by recognizing, you know, this is not an issue that defines me, the fact that I messed up here, so let me just U-turn and go the right way, or I can recognize I need to understand everybody's motivation here to not just die <laughs> and run into the mountain. I can look at it from that perspective. It's really powerful. And I think the set, the first time, like acknowledging the embarrassment, it gives you the opportunity to see reality for what it is. I just get blinded by your wants. Say, okay, wow, there's a mountain here that I haven't taken into account. Something you haven't taken into account, whether it's other stakeholders, their motivations, whether it's the connections, how they work together, the limitations we're operating in, certain opportunities, whatever it may be. But then also, again, like being able to say, I am a bigger person than this one thing, it allows you to say, okay, this feels embarrassing, but this is the right thing to do. And I take pride in actually being the kind of person that once they say that something they're doing is flawed, they don't stick onto it. They can move beyond that. And I think if you have those kind of components together, that's when you can find the most effective path to get to where you want to go. Got it. So would you say in that situation, using one of your own phrases, you know, when you, when you aim for the trophy, you miss a target. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, was it desire my to... phrase, by the way. I didn't invent that phrase. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, was it, was it that you were focused on, on coining a term of sort of owning a term? And that created a gap where you weren't focused on the sort of metrics of, of, of growth and thinking, like, how do I actually make this easy for my audience to, to understand what, what this is and consume the information? 
it's more important that I own a term rather than I, I move the needle on engagement metrics. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I think when you think about it from a very pragmatic layer, what's more important for a company to own a term or to actually grow? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, owning a term can make you grow, but I was blinded by it. I didn't think, okay, is this actually serving growth or not? I was like, I just want this thing. That would be really cool if I had this thing. And that just, it doesn't work. Yeah. I've definitely made that mistake in business on more than one occasion. Where have you made that? Where do you think this is like a big example where you can look back at and say, this is kind of the same, same issue, but in a different way. So many things, whether it's actually the business model, whether it's a business brand, I think it's the innovators dilemma. Um, we, we, we become the artist probably more than we, we want to. And yeah. That's where the emotions come in, our desire to do something different and better. And so if I, if I came up with a new company doing X, Y, Z, I could come up with like a very ethereal, abstract name because I'm, I'm projecting my sort of emotions or ego into the future and thinking it will be great when this, this thing that's very abstract right now is a household name. But by default of me making it so abstract, I might fail to get the, hundred, the first 100 people to even pay attention. Like I make it yeah. so abstract and so different that is completely foreign and alien to anyone who actually could pay attention. Do you think there's some part of you that's also like, I would feel really cool about myself if I can create something that's really abstract, but uh, people just like- hundred percent. That's what I felt in me when I heard you talk. That I think a big yeah. part of it is like, oh, I want to feel cool about myself that I created this new term or whatever it may be. Yeah. There's that old, like, old business thing, like, don't be cute. Stop trying to be yeah. cute. Just do what works. <laughs> You know what I, mean? I even do it with Google Maps. I'm like, mm, that's that's cute, Google. Let let, let me <laughs> want to, to find a shorter path. Turns yeah. out Google's right every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a big lesson. Like we gotta recognize that we're we always want to find a sense of like satisfaction in ourselves or feel good about ourselves. But that desire blinds us to reality a lot of times. And that's where we can really hurt our results. Again, if all you want to do is like be an artist, be a broken artist, but you can feel good about yourself in that way, great. If you're looking for actual results, you got to recognize that's a voice that you probably need to learn to ignore. Like if you're saying, I would tell some, somebody else should do this thing and it matches, great. But if it doesn't, the advice that you would give to somebody else is probably more effective than what you want to do. Because your wants are not your logical thoughts. Those are different things. I think that's a good thing to watch out for. Go for it. I, I want to ask, do you think that, that there's a dimension also behind that? This might be like layers of subconscious that if when we start getting a bit fancy on things, do you think there's any merit in the idea that maybe it's also a defense mechanism? So if it doesn't work out, it's like, yeah, well, look, in hindsight, I did make it really difficult to understand and really abstract it. You know, if I just made it really simple, um, you know, if I owned a, cl a clothes washing business, I said, I wash your clothes.com is easier than calling it some sort of Puritan name, which might be really hard yeah. to understand what I actually do. Could it be a it, defense mechanism? It definitely could be like, that's not the angle where it came from, from me, but it doesn't mean that it won't be for somebody else. It's like mm -hmm. a lot of, it could be a way for somebody to avoid having to really put themselves out there saying like, oh, if it's no one's really going to hear about it in some way and I self-sabotage myself that way, then nobody can really judge me on if the product behind the name or whatever it may be is really good enough. It could be a way. Like people, I see this in hiring. People are like, 
I'm really, really terrified to give up control. So instead of me really clarifying the role that I need, I'll just hire somebody and then it's probably not going to work out anyway. And I'll be able to tell myself, yeah, it didn't work out. Of course, please don't work out. Mm. I think there's definitely, it's a great point. It's not where where it came from for me, but definitely, I can't see it not exist for some, you know what I mean? I, I see it happening in uh, business models where people come up with very abstract business models. It's like a, it's like a, a, a hodgepodge. It's like a coffee shop and, and uh, clothing retailer plus art gallery plus doggy yeah, yeah. daycare. And they come yeah. up with a very abstract name. And I wonder, not only apart from the brand and our ego, our emotional wants to sort of revolutionize kind of this you know, weird kind of concept store, maybe it's also because the, the individual knows that they're not a domain expert in any of those things. They haven't, they're not a domain expert in running a highly profitable, you know, efficient coffee shop yeah. or art gallery or anything else. So it's kind of easy to sort of bundle them all in together, wrap it up in something, some weird sort of wrapping, and then um, it might be a, a sort of a veil that we use to recognize that actually we don't have competency here. I'll say this, and this is really interesting because I think regardless if that's true, not whatever it may be, it's irrelevant if you use this process. Because if somebody that like that would have used the set where they had to actually break down the stakeholders, how they connect to each other and what their motivations and limitations are, that, that process would have shown them this is a bad idea. It would have forced them to look reality in the face. Great point. And I think that's yeah. what was so beautiful about like, just having that kind of framework that it doesn't allow you to hide from reality because of whatever your wants are. And again, so I think they kind of want to wrap this up. I think it's going to be a powerful point to kind of drop off. The set is a really powerful tool, but you cannot access the tool if you're not willing to own that you need it. If you're not willing to own that embarrassment. I know it sounds weird, but having these kind of weird out of everyday normal talk terms allows you to get out of your everyday normal thinking. So coining and embarrassing, like the quicker you can avoid trying to outwork an ineffective strategy due to stubbornness or ego or thick headedness or whatever it may be. And you can say, this isn't working the way I would have expected it to, the way it needs to work in order to get to my targets. Then you can move on to a more effective strategy faster by breaking down the set and recognizing where were the flaws in the way I came up with this strategy. For me, it was, I didn't even take into account the motivations of the people that could be potential listeners. Which is wild. It's wild. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but it happens. And I think the sooner I can say, okay, this is wild. This was really foolish of me. But I take pride in being the kind of person that can own that and move forward. It's like, I know that's going to serve me really, really well in five years from now. I don't care about this momentary embarrassment because I know I'm sure. doing the right things to get myself to a great place in five years. Yeah. And that's what I would like people to walk away with. Anything awesome. in your end? I see you just have something about to come out. I, I just, so from my understanding, you podcast wasn't growing at the rate you, you expected or desired. You've gone through this process. The embarrassment was recognizing that your motivations to coin a term was different to the motivations of other stakeholders, whether that be audience, you know, co-host, editors, et cetera. That's kind of like the epiphany moment, uh, which explains maybe part of the, the disconnect between expectations and reality with, with the growth by going through that set. How now do you re re strategize after going through that? So yeah, I guess my, my next question is, yeah, you know, where to next? So with the podcast? Oh yeah, just kind of like now that you've learned that 
that lesson in terms of the disconnect between your desires and, and what the market was receiving, how do you recalibrate that either from a branding exercise or what, what's, what's the sort of next steps? The simple thing that I did, I went out to the people that are my ideal clients, the people that are in the, not just the arena, but the lead program. So these are the ideal clients. What are your motivations? Instead of me assuming, instead of me hoping to understand, I'd be like, what did you guys want out of this? Mm. And finding what's the common thread there. Asking, what would you feel comfortable telling a friend of yours? Like, dude, you should need to listen to this podcast. And I'd sound like, and I'd be able to say like, oh, it's like, it's really good, but it just kind of sounds kind of weird. But if you get into it, it's really good. Like, what would nail in there? Just asking the people straight up. Again, not having an ego about it. I mean, guys, I have my assumptions. My assumptions have obviously been proven very wrong. What do you guys specifically want? Tell me. And then synthesize that together. And that's how we came up with this elite performance podcast. That's all they want to be is elite performers. It means something different to everybody. It's not 100% congruent. We might change it again as we learn and we grow. But for right now, it's a much bigger improvement that takes into account the biggest blind spot that we didn't take into account last time. It was the motivations of the ideal people we want to attract to this podcast and give them the tools that hit up and grow and succeed, become better performers in their life, business, all that stuff. But I, I also want to say one yeah. thing. No, please. I think, you, I think we, we, <laughs> we missed a crucial step. None of this is possible if you don't have the, the courage to set a target. People that just say, oh, I'll just keep doing things and like, it'll somehow grow. You don't give yourself the opportunity to see, are you falling behind your expectations and your targets and your timelines? I know it's mm -hmm. very common people say like, oh, I don't want to set a target because that's too intimidating. I'll just get going and I'll do and I'll learn across the way. Doing that doesn't give you the opportunity to say, is something here not working according to expectation or are we on pace? So I think the first thing is you have to set a target. It's, you always have, you can't debrief anything if you've succeeded or not. If there was an actual target to say, a benchmark, is it successful or not? I think first you have to set that target and then you can see if you're embarrassed that, like, that you're not getting along the way or you are. I just wanted to add that, but what did you have to say here? I totally agree. I, I think this highlights how powerful this process is because it's, it's like a concentric loop. Um, you have gone through the embarrassment, gone through the set, the sort of the analysis phase and what the next step is in terms of branding, you're much more dynamic and flexible with because you've realigned yourself to how do I make this thing work? Like the, the visual analogy that was making sense yeah. to me, because I think this is such a, such a common issue for most entrepreneurs is that it wasn't an issue with the product. You've got plenty of clients who, who rave about your coaching. It was an issue with a branding exercise that might've gone, you know, a degree left or right unnecessarily. So like the analogy might be, you've got a restaurant full of happy customers who come here all the time. And you're, you're getting fancy with the name or the, the sort of the facade of the restaurant, um, which doesn't take away from the dining experience for those customers. And you could keep thinking about marketing efforts and branding and all the rest. So you could just simply just turn around and come into your customers and say, Hey, why do you come here? Yeah. So I think that that embarrassment cycle gets shortened each time that you probably deploy this process because it gets easier to recognize. Of course, you need to have those targets. Because it's easy to recognize, you know, how would I make this more appealing to more diners? It's like, why don't you just walk inside and just speak to the people yeah. who, who know, like, and trust you and find out what this means to them. Yeah. And again, to put that into like the context of the set, it's the stakeholders. These could also be like, if you're in a different kind of business, talk to your suppliers, 
It's like, what are your motivations? How can we make this a bigger win-win for us? How can I understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from? Again, that's why I think having this kind of process where you actually have to walk yourself down through all this stuff is so effective. Now, the really like cool thing is that I didn't tell you this because when we only got this yesterday, one of the guys in the elite actually created a GPT about it. How when you tell it your business model and all that kind of thing, you took all the lessons from the Officer General program and it spits out like the stakeholders, their connections, their interests, like the general things. You obviously it's like it's still AI that you have to edit. But it's a long part of the way. Yeah. So first off, we're going to share that uh, in the links below. So if you want to be able to do that for your business, it's pretty wild. Um, You just go into the links below. You'll find it. You can like get access to it immediately. It's free. All that kind of jazz to help you out along. That's number one. Number two, I think a really good and powerful question to ask yourself is where are you perhaps not taking a wider view or where do you have certain blind spots because you really want something to work? Again, it may be that employee, maybe it's a product, maybe like us, it's a pot, whatever it may be. When you really want something emotionally, you're probably not thinking logically. And if you have clear targets and you can say, wait, this thing that I want, it's not on the right track. It's not. And I don't, I shouldn't just try to work harder to make an ineffective strategy work because that's not what's going to happen. If you see that in yourself and you can have the courage honestly, to own the fact that you, did, you made a mistake. It feels a bit embarrassing, but you can handle that. And it's good because you keep exposing yourself and learning and then go backwards and understand what's actually going on here in this kind of framework. I think you can see massive success. So again, if you feel that you have something that you really want to work, but it's not, like it's foolish to just try to work harder. Instead, do something a bit smarter, more strategic, more effective. Go back to the drawing board, own your mistakes, and see what went wrong. From there, you just have a more effective strategy and you can see better results with hopefully a lot less effort. Awesome. And I think on that note, we will wrap it up for today. Again, guys, if you want that uh, chat GPT thingy about understanding the set and breaking it down for you, you can find the links below. Aside from that, have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Elite Performance Podcast. If you know someone else who would benefit from it, please share it with them. Three last things before you go, though. If you feel like someone else with your exact skill sets and abilities could be accomplishing more than you currently are, here are three ways I'd love to help you stop playing small, conquer whatever is holding you back, and really win big. First, we have Three Quick Ideas Tuesday. It's a weekly email with three quick ideas around one aspect of elite performance and how to approach it differently to get better and faster results. People say it's the most thought-provoking and actionable two minutes they spend in their inbox each week. It's easy to sign up to and easy to cancel, and you can sign up at edamormarine.com slash three ideas. Two is the Elite Performance Microcourse. It's a nothing held back five-part system to uncover the blind spots you didn't even know were holding you back from being at your best. Each module is no more than five minutes. It's jam-packed. You can see it, use it, and win, and it's completely free at edamormarine.com slash course. And number three, lastly, if you want to dive in and aggressively level up, the Arena Performance Accelerator might be for you. It's a six-week intense sprint for ambitious entrepreneurs who want to go to the next level. It's an interactive live coaching program where I'll be personally working with you in a very hands-on way to get you clarity on what you want, commit to the exact actions that will make that happen, and develop the confidence and courage to execute on what will actually make all the difference for you and your business. You can learn more and apply at itamarmarani.com slash arena. And you can find all of these links in the show notes below or go to itamarmarani.com and have a look around. Until next time.
who dares wins.